And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone, to this last hour of the week, on this show at least. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at SciFiForMe.com. Happy to have all of you here. Mazers, yes, howdy. Good to have everybody. We are broadcasting live to Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. And uh, this show is also available as a podcast on various different platforms. And if you are with us live, you can jump in the chat. If you're not with us live, you can still leave a comment. And uh, anytime, you can send us an email with feedback. Live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com is how you do that. And uh, you can suggest topics. You can suggest guests people for us to talk to uh we've we've got uh, we've got a couple a couple of of interesting uh things that are in the works we'll see i don't know it's you know, one of those things that just happens um a real quick note i had mentioned earlier this week that we were talking about be doing a sci-fi for me plus sci-fi for me tv plus and it turns out there's going to be a complication with that because YouTube doesn't like special characters. And so sci-fi for me TV plus with the little plus sign, they don't like it. And they can't, and I can't create that channel with that name. So I gotta, I gotta rethink a couple of things anyway. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and congratulations, uh, continue uh, to uh, to Eric July, he's uh, crossed 1.5 million dollars on his comic book campaign that he launched on Monday. So um, yeah, uh, Eric's Eric's doing some doing some work over there. I tell you, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Okay, so now we have a different Eric uh, who is part of the show today. Eric Choi is uh, joining us, and it is his second time as a guest on the program. He reminded me before we started that he he was uh, he was on the show way back in the day, probably in about 2014 when the show started, and it was an audio only podcast at that point that was over on um, uh, Blog Talk Radio when the when the show first started. And he is back today. Welcome, sir. It's really a pleasure to be back. Thank you so much, Jason. Well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to make this uh, not not take as long between uh, between appearances. I think I think eight years might be a little bit much. Uh, but well, in uh, geological time, it's not that much. <laughs> well, but perhaps true. in human years, yeah, eight spins around the sun is quite a bit. That's true. So Eric mm. is an aerospace engineer, also an author. He's got a new. Uh, a new collection of short stories come out that's uh, called Just Like Being There. And so we're going to talk about that and we're talking about, you know, maybe some sciencey stuff today. So, uh, so Eric, you know, give me a give me a rundown real quick on what the book is. Let's start there. Sure. Well, um, I've been a short fiction writer for a number of years. And by a short fiction writer, I mean also 
being st- sort of stature short, which I am, and of course <laughs> of, of short stories. And uh, it just uh, came about time. I discovered that, wow, I've got uh, you know a little bit of an over here, and I thought it would be kind of nice to pull that all together into uh, into one place, particularly since uh, a few of the stories are a few years old and, and, and are getting out of print. So I was very fortunate um, to uh, run into a group at the academic publisher, actually, Springer. Uh, believe it or not, and this was certainly a surprise to me, is uh, they have a science and fiction book line which I, I, I knew nothing about, and really? it's, I guess it's part and parcel of, uh, of the theme of, uh, of this discussion. And I pitched this book to them, and they were interested, and lo and behold, here it is. And the, the collection starts off with a short story called Dedication, which was, I believe, one of the first stories that you actually had published anywhere, and it won an award. It won the very first... Asimov's Award. It's now called the Dell Award. Um, what was that like? I mean, you're you're fresh out of the gate with this story, and you get the inaugural award in this in this particular adventure. And and what does that do? It was mind blowing and just uh, just tremendous. Um, so this, as you say, is what is now called the the Dell Magazines Award. But uh, this was. Um, uh, a competition that was uh, established uh, back in the day by uh, the late Gardner Dozois, uh, Sheila Williams, and Rick Wilbur, and uh, with the International uh, Conference of the Fantastic and the Arts and uh, Asimov's magazine. And the intention was to recognize or to encourage and bring forward new writers. Uh, this was specifically targeting people at the time who were in uh, undergraduate studies in in college so you know back in the day there i was and i submitted this story called dedication and lo and behold it actually won the contest and i it it, um it's not an exaggeration to say that uh, this was really something that that launched at least my writing career and i will forever forever and forever be indebted to gardner dozois and sheila williams and and rick wilbur and all the fine folks at uh, at at asimov's and it's important to say as well as that this contest is is ongoing um and i would certainly encourage any young person who has an interest in science fiction and fantasy and speculative fiction to look up the Dell Dell Magazine's award and and you know, throw their throw their work into uh, into the into consideration. Now let me let me ask you this because uh, the the discussion about short fiction uh, when you when you look at the the landscape of science fiction fantasy horror. There is a place for short fiction, but there's not as many uh, opportunities, I don't think, nowadays as there used to be. I mean, you, certainly you still have Asimov's and you've got, uh, you've got a, a few different publications out there that will take short fiction. But has, have you noticed, just in the course of your publication history, have you noticed fewer outlets where you're able to even submit short stories? 
That's a very interesting question. Um, you know, you you cited, I guess, what you would say, sort of the the the, the better known or, or some of the bigger markets like Asimov's and Analog and FNSF and and so forth. And I, I think for a while, certainly there there was a challenge there in terms of uh, finding short fiction markets. Um, you know, maybe about ten years ago, I say there I would sort of, from my experience, it seemed like a little bit of a lull, but. I think in the last couple of years, uh, what has really been a positive development, um, you know, picking up the slack is uh, a lot of smaller, uh, you know, sort of more independent, more, more niche uh, types of uh, publications, uh, both traditional and online, both uh, print on demand and, and self-publication and the advent of things like, um, you know, crowdsourcing have enabled new markets um you know not only to 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 broaden the market for for existing authors like like myself but as a fantastic platform and and a way of of bringing new voices to uh to 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 the genre what is i think a challenge is that a lot of these emerging markets smaller markets by the very nature of uh, of the economics in some cases they cannot pay a, a CIFWA professional rate. So right. the, the the markets are out there, the opportunity to to be published and, and to have your visions seen and heard are, are out there, um, but uh, some of the economics, I think, remain challenging. Have you run into um, any particular issues as, as far as, you know, Yes, we like your story, but uh, not not necessarily from a standpoint of it doesn't fit or it's not what we're looking for at this point because every author runs into that. But like you're saying, you know, we're not able to pay the rate that you're used to. We're not able to pay at all. I mean, we can send you five copies or we, you know, we can give you exposure. We can send you coffee, but we can't we can't pay you it. Is that. more prevalent kind of prevalent i mean do we run into that a lot because i haven't i i haven't been in that part of the the publication industry where i've where i've had to do that we've we've talked uh, on a number of occasions here about crowdfunding a magazine and one of the things that i've wanted to do and made sure that okay if we do this i want to be able to pay the contributors and whatever the going rate is whether it's you know, CIFWA or, or any of the rest of the industry standards, I want to make sure that we can pay the people who contribute to the book. Are, are, is, that, is that more of a challenge than maybe we realize? I think generically it is indeed a challenge. Um, you know, speaking for myself, I have to say that I'm a privileged person and I'm a very fortunate person because I'm not a full-time writer. I actually have a day job as a, as a practicing aerospace engineer in the in the space industry so i have other means of you know I, i'm very privileged having other means of, of paying the bills um for those and indeed what that enables me to do is in fact i've you know been very happy to submit my work to to smaller venues and you know those that may not be paying the the CIFWA professional rate um, because this is um, something that, that that I enjoy doing, and and I, I have 
at least that little bit of economic freedom. I, I recognize that there are many, many others who are less privileged than, than I am for which these economic considerations of are, are, are first and foremost, and, and certainly there is a challenge there. And you mentioned the day job, but you are an aerospace engineer by training, and you've worked on a number of projects for NASA and 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 you know the Phoenix Mars lander. The was it, do I pronounce that KeySat, the Quantum Encryption and Science Satellite? I mean that's that's kind of a that's kind of a mouthful there. But it how much how much do these two worlds of yours how much are the lines blurred because in your in your collection here you have the story and then in the afterword for each story you talk about the science that you used in the story so there's it's more research i mean you you coming from this engineering and science background you already have a lot of information that, that might you know another author might have to look up but you're incorporating all of that into your stories, and then you sit there and say, "Well, here's the science behind this kind of thing." Does does it present a challenge, or do you even try to keep those two worlds separate? I really don't. Um, as you say, there's you know there, there's a the lines are clearly blurred and there's a lot of cross fertilization between these uh, two particular halves of uh, of my life i i think i make a comment in the preface of the book that really that the science and the science fiction aspects of the engineering and the science fiction aspects are, are sort of like two sides of, of the coin and indeed i think if you were to to look at my collection you can see that there's clearly a bias towards stories that are space and hard science and and aviation themed uh versus other scientific topics so um i do agree that in in some cases perhaps i have a, a little bit of an advantage over you know others in the sense i have a, a little bit of knowledge but you know this the, the, the field is vast and there there's certainly and, and and certainly i don't necessarily i don't well, i know for a fact that i don't know everything um so you know I, at the end of the day even if it's a space or aviation related story i still have to go out there and and, and do research and perhaps maybe the one advantage you have is having the little bit of background means that i i, I sort of know what questions to ask i i know what i don't know which is uh, surprisingly important <laughs> and i've also been privileged through you know having worked in the industry and having um a, a good contact list that uh, i i can you know reach out and i i i can cite a very specific example is um there's a there's a new anthology coming out um that is uh, co um co-produced by the European Astrobiology Institute. It's called Life Beyond Us, and uh, it's, it's edited rather by Julie Novakova, Lucas Law, and Susan Forrest. So this is an anthology of astrobiology-themed uh, science fiction, and I'm very fortunate and honored to actually have the opening story in this one. But um, I need to ask somebody, well, you know, if you're flying uh, a mission to Mars, you know, what are the, the actual names of the console positions at their mission control? Because 
I knew a little bit about how it's done on the human spaceflight side, for example, the International Space Station and Space Shuttle and, and so forth. And I realized that well, I'm, I'm really not sure. I don't really know how it's done on the robotic exploration side. So I had the you know, very good opportunity and very fortunate to, uh, to talk to an engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory who was able to uh, bring me up to speed on these things. Now, the the homework that's involved, I mean, usually when you, you've got somebody who's writing a story and they're, and they're looking up the information, there's a surface level, there's a surface level understanding of this, of this material. But the deeper in the weeds you get, sometimes there are there are concepts and there are there are ideas behind how this process works that maybe gets lost in the translation a little bit have you had any kind of challenge with that because engineers think in terms of engineering you know there's a very there's a very specific syntax and context and all of that and then you have the layperson's language and somewhere in between all of that, you've got to take this very esoteric knowledge and make it palatable for a general audience. Is that, is that easy for you to do since you're kind of living in both worlds, as it were? It's, I, I think it's a challenge. Um, and so the, 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 the way that... Um, you know what helps me in that regard is I have a small but very talented and um, you know very group of uh, of beta readers who are not necessarily in in the sciences or engineering and you know I, I really rely on these folks to to call me out and say hey Eric you've got this really embarrassing you know, core dump section right here that just uh, just doesn't work for for, for me. And you, know, yeah. you, you, you got to not do this, Eric. So having different perspectives and, and a diversity of, of readers to, to, to tell you what's what is is vital. And what I've found over the years is in some cases in, in hard SF, I guess, there is a bit of a necessary evil of, of maybe a little bit of a core dump. So you, you, you try to get a little creative about it. So one of the stories, um, for example, in the collection, just like being there is, is called Crimson Sky. And uh, it deals with uh, a search and rescue mission on Mars that uh, involves a, a Mars helicopter. So I wanted to figure out a way to describe this, this machine without the traditional core dump. And the way I got around that was, well, as, as pilots do, they, they, they do like a, a walk around inspection of their aircraft right. uh, before they fly. So I buried the engineering core dump in that scene of the, the pilot as she did the, uh, the inspection around her vehicle. But, um, but yeah, you know, ultimately it's uh, it's it's the beta readers that uh, that help keep me uh, keep me uh, human and less Vulcan, I guess. <laughs> now, is it, you've got more than one story in this collection that's set around Mars. Is there a particular type of story that you lean into wanting to tell more than others? You know, let's let's go to Mars, let's go to the Moon, let's do deep space exploration. We've got this story over here. 
is there a do you have a preference is there one that you enjoy writing more than more than the others yeah i tend to write a lot in either present day or or near future and I guess you could accuse me of not having enough imagination and for which I would perhaps plead guilty to that. Um, but you know, th this is sort of the domain that I personally am, am comfortable in, in dealing with. And it's, it's exciting to me as well because you know, I, I have hopes that you know, I, I, I can live long enough to, uh, to, to see these things that ultimately I'm, just, I'm not just writing about the future generically but you know maybe a bit of my future or, or, or our future as well that i would be you know really it just be really really amazing to uh you know see people human beings return to the moon and and, and go on to mars and and things like that i you know part, part of this i think is is wishful thinking on my part or or, or hope that that I'll, I'll actually see these things for real in, in my own lifetime you know, it's funny you say that uh, the, there are a lot of authors who say that it's more of a challenge to write science fiction, speculative fiction, closer to present day than it is to project out 200 years from now, 400 years from now, 3,000 years from now, because our technology evolves so quickly and develops so quickly it's just one change after another after another and the update comes and here it is and you know you look at star trek for example where the the technology in the 60s you know as it was presented in the original series well now we already have all of that we've got the video communications we've got the the you know we've got the cell phone communicators and we've got the beginnings of the tricorder and We've got the, the, the tablet computers and all of this. So people are sitting there saying, well, you've, if you're writing something 50 years from now, you, you have even more of a burden to make it, one, believable, but also try to avoid the fact that it's going to be dated three years from now. You know, as opposed to, you know, we, we go 500 years from now, I can make up any technology because we have no idea what's going to be there. But you're you're sounding like you're the exact opposite. You enjoy staying closer to home, as it were, in terms of the timeline. Is that ever a concern for you that the stuff that you're putting in there from an engineering standpoint, because you're probably even more aware of just how quickly technology changes. I mean, you look at the the difference between the, the Hubble telescope and the Webb telescope. Everybody's talking about that this week and, and the difference in the resolution on the images. And that's not too many years between them in terms of technological advancements. Do you ever worry about any of that stuff when you're putting it into your, in your, your stories? I do. And in fact, in the process of putting the collection together, just like being there, because these were stories that um, have uh, have spanned my writing career. So you talked about the first story, uh, Dedication, which was written in the 1990s. Well, you know, at the time I had um, postulated, extrapolated that um, something I called in the original version of the story a, a palm top computer. So, you know, a logical extrapolation of a desktop to a laptop to something, some kind of device that you would hold in your hand. Well, 
I, I was actually very pleased that I got that part of it right, but clearly that's not the thing, that's not what we call it. We would call it a phone or, or a tablet or something. Right. So full disclosure, um, in putting the book together, I did do some minor edits here and there of some terminology, like changing the word palm top to uh, a, a tablet. But in general, I was actually pleasantly surprised uh, that um, really all of my stories, I think, or as I, I hope, it's for the readers to judge, of course, that they've generally held up very well over, over the course of time. And if I, you know, maybe perhaps to be immodest and give myself a little bit of credit, I, I think one of the things that I do try to do when I write is to try to describe the, the, the functionality of what something needs to do or is doing as, uh, as opposed to the how. And if you do read my stories, I, I actually don't get into a lot of details, a lot of numbers and things that you might see in some of the other hard SF writers. And, and, and that's very deliberate. And I, I remember, you know, reading, you know, some stuff that, you know, may, maybe a few decades old, like, you know, for, from, from the 90s or, or, or later where, you know, it, it's they're, they're aboard a space station or something. And it, it all seems very, very cool and modern. And then there's a description of them changing out a film canister, which uh, which sort of immediately uh, take, takes me out of it. Or, you know, there's a cyber cyberpunk novel from for, from a while back where they they call out you know, you know, few megabytes of RAM that somebody is fencing or something, which again, that, that, that little detail just sort of takes me out of the story, even though the, the, the rest of the narrative, in fact, holds up quite well. So that's a little bit of a cheat I do in, in a way that I, I, I try not to get into too many details of, of, of how something is done and focus more on the what. You know, I, I almost, I almost feel the need to take you to task a little bit by sitting there saying that the '90s was a few decades ago. I mean, thank you for reminding <laughs> me of just how old I am. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm a child of the '90s too. So, <laughs> I, well, I, I go back a little bit further than that, but I, I, re, I remember the '90s. I remember some of the stories that we got out of that, out of that era. But, um. Let me let me go back to dedication for just a second as 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 we get into the break because I have a question for you. Uh, as I'm reading this, one of your characters named Sean Christopher pops out and I thought, ah, aha, I see what he did. And in your afterward, you acknowledge that this is an homage because those of you who don't know, Sean Christopher is mentioned in an early episode of the original series of Star Trek as being uh, somebody who was very influential in the development of the space program for Earth. And here he is, shows up on this, uh, in this story. Did this start out as fan fiction for Trek, or was this just a, a wink and a nod from the very beginning? It was meant as a wink and a nod. Okay. Um, I am, as you've uh, probably discerned, a, a, a tremendous Star Trek fan. And um, at the time that I wrote that story, I had coincidentally picked up, uh, this was uh, Michael and Denise Okuda's book, which was the, the Star Trek chronology, right. um, you know, up to that point of like, you know, the, I think some of the next gen 
and, and Deep Space Nine episodes back in the day. And, you know, I, I think it goes back to my earlier comment about sort of hope and, and, and wishful thinking is, is you know, I, I and I'm sure, you know, a lot of fans would, would like to see a lot of the aspects of what we've seen in, in, in Star Trek come true. So, so, so this was a part of it. So, yeah. So for... Um, so for those who you know may not be as familiar with that particular incarnation of Star Trek, so this this particular character was cited as the person who led the first successful crewed mission to to Saturn, and um, perhaps a, a a little bit of a spoiler, you know, for people who uh, may not have watched season two of of Picard, I, I was actually because th th there was a mission to the Saturnian system that that was uh, I believe. Uh, an integral part of of that show, and and I kind of wish that they'd done that same homage as well. There are there are quite a few people that had some things to say about Picard. <laughs> you're you're not alone uh, in in that. Of course, the various different degrees of criticism probably range uh, all all over the place. But uh, but yeah, it, it's it's that sense of continuity though. That that sense of yes. We've mentioned this before, and now here it is. And um, your story kind of does that a little bit. And, and yes, here's here's this guy. You, if you've paid attention to track, here it is. But it's done in a way that doesn't take away from the story. I thought that was that was good because it didn't distract. It was oh, this is this is a Star Trek pastiche, but it's not. It, it's it's a self-contained. It's in its own world. And I I liked the fact that you didn't go all the way nudge nudge wink wink. This is Star this is Star Trek without being you know with the the, the serial number filed off. So what okay? So what we're going to do? We're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, I've got a I've got a question for you as 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 to which of these stories is your favorite we're gonna we're gonna get into that plus uh, some other tech science stuff right after this stand by broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set this is sci-fi for me radio punch the demon face just punch it yeah i know it's got teeth punch it on the head like they're always like Punch it! Like, there's a little girl whose life is in danger. Do something other than just yell. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Good Morning Multiverse, Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here along with my guest, aerospace engineer and science fiction author, Eric Choi. And the book is a collection of short stories. It's called Just Like Being There. And Eric, let me ask you, because uh, there's, a, there's a number of stories here. And you have uh, a few from a long while ago and, and some that are recent. So which, which of these 
is your favorite at this point? If you had to point to one in particular, this is the baby that that gets all of the attention. Is there one in particular that you you read this one? If you don't read anything else, read this one. Oh my goodness, that Jason is probably I think the hardest question you're going to ask me for this entire session. It's that, that that's a really hard question. That's um, it's it, it's a bit like asking. You know who who's the fav- who's your favorite member of your your family or who's your favorite kid or or, or something like that. It's it, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to to answer. Um, I, I will say that each of the stories is special to me in uh, in different ways. Certainly, dedication is special because it was my first uh, professional publication and and leads off the story. Uh, leads off the collection rather. Um, I'm quite fond of the closing story, which is called A Sky in Heaven. Um, this is an alternate history story about the uh, the space shuttle Columbia accident and what might have been done to you know, perhaps save the crew from that tragedy. And, and this, this particular story actually came from quite a personal place because back in 2003, I was at the Kennedy Space Center when the accident happened. Mm. Um, I had a friend whose company had a payload that was on that mission and I was invited to come watch the landing, which, uh, which of course, uh, tragically never happened. And uh, it's, it's also, so it, it's the closing story in the collection and it's also the longest work that I've, uh, I've ever written. So it's, it's about 15,000 words. It's, um, it, it's a novella length and I'm, we, we we've talked a lot about you know the hard SF, but I'm 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 also you know quite interested in in, in alternate history, and you know I'm I, I'm no Harry Turtle Dove by by any means, but there's there's a few alternate histories in there, and one that I'm particularly fond of is actually that the second story in the collection, which is called Raise the Nautilus, and this uh, this originally appeared in an anthology called. Uh, 20,000 Leagues Remembered, uh, which commemorated the 150th anniversary of the first publication of the classic Jules Verne novel, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So in this particular story, I postulate um, an attempt by the Royal Navy of Britain to try to recover something out of Captain Nemo's Nautilus, um, what uh, they believe to be something that could be employed as a weapon that uh, could turn the tide of uh, of the first uh, first world war um and then the the, the title story uh just like being there um is uh is also one i'm i'm quite fond of that was actually the first story that i had written that was uh, specifically targeted for for a ya audience actually so it was uh bought by julie chernada uh, who is, by the way, another fine scientist and author. And uh, she, Julie, is very passionate about using science fiction as an educational tool. So uh, she had, for many years, an initiative called Science Fiction in the Classroom. And so this story I had written for one of the anthologies uh, that's intended to illustrate uh, scientific concepts 
perhaps uh, for, uh, for for a younger audience. So, yeah, it's so, so, sort of a dodge of your question a little bit there, there, Jason. <laughs> but uh, you know, all of the stories in the collection are, are sort of special to me in different ways. Yeah, the the idea of using science fiction as an educational tool as as inspiration one of the things that i've said about the genre for a long time i i see science fiction as both inspirational and aspirational it inspires us to think about different ideas and new new concepts and whatnot but it also gives us something to sit there and say we can do better we can be better the problem that i have with some science fiction is that it has a tendency to get a little preachy with its aspirational inspirational stuff it's not hey we need to think about this it's more we're going to beat you over the head you must think about this and and i don't know what the answer is for trying to dial back a little bit because you have various different i mean there have been fan feuds for as long as there have been fans and you know there's nothing new about that but it seems recently it's become a little bit more vitriolic i guess i don't have have you run into those kinds of conversations where yeah we want we want to use science fiction to educate but this this goes too far this doesn't go far enough you need to think about this kind of thing you know, you talk about having beta readers and you know there's a conversation you know, everybody needs to have sensitivity readers and all these other things at what point does the educational aspects of science fiction kind of become self-defeating because now we're getting into I hate, I hate to use the word indoctrination but there's that there's that line that that you have to avoid crossing yeah i think ultimately and you know i i'm only speaking for myself here but you know i see myself you know when i put on my writing hat ultimately i'm i'm a i'm just a storyteller um an entertainer and you know by the nature of my background which is more of a technical and scientific and engineering background you know th 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 these happen to be the, the stories that, that that i tell and i do believe as as julie does and and others that there is a role for science fiction and and, and perhaps if i'm so fortunate that you know maybe my own stories um might in a way inform or in, in, inspire but but ultimately well, they, they, they just have to be stories and they just have to, to, to entertain. And, you know, it, it may not be, as you say, really not a, a public service to, to, to you, know, you know, beat anything over the heads of, uh, of anybody. And, you know, what I do strive to do, and, and, and this is difficult, it's the art of conveying... Uh, a message without conveying the message and, and, and maybe I'll, I'll I'll illustrate that with with an example so when I was growing up um, Arthur C. Clarke uh, as with so many you know, others was was one of my favorite sort of um, you know golden age authors and in the novel 2010 uh, which was published 
in the depths of the Cold War, there were Americans and Russians uh, working together on a space mission to, to, to go out to the Jovian system and, and, and investigate. And, and, and that was it. Um, there, there, there was no overt political. It, it was just, well, well, here it is. This, this, this is, this just is. Right. And um, there, there, there was a film made of the novel 2010. And um, in that film, it suddenly became overt where it was Russians and Americans going at each other and, and they're on the brink of war. And, and, and none of this was in, in Arthur Clarke's original novel. And so I would, in fact, argue that, um, you know, that motif or, or, or that hope of, you know, international collaboration was, in fact, better expressed subtly in the Clark novel than overtly in the Peter Hyams film. Yeah. Well, and and the other part of that, too, and you talk about uh, the the influence of Clark on on your writing and and you look at, you know, the stuff that was written Asimov, Bradbury, McCaffrey, uh, Le Guin, that era. And people point back to it and say, well, here are all these messages. And, and they're done, like you said, they're done subtly. They're not, you know, beat you over the head. But you mentioned Clark as an influence. What else, what other authors do you look to to sit there and go, I want to be like this. I'm, I'm pulling for all this. Of course, everybody is pulling from all of the different things that we've read. And, and mixing in and blending all of these ingredients into something new. Who are who are some of the other authors that you enjoy reading that may have may have impacted your voice as a writer? Yeah, well, one of my earliest recollections, and this was like like a high school friend who uh, was a subscriber to to Analog, and so he he sort of started passing me his his hand-me-down analogs and you, you can't see it on camera here but it's actually there's boxes of them under the table right here um one of the issues i vividly remember was um a story called the road not taken uh which was written uh it it, it was a pseudonym um for and uh, it, it was it was somebody named eric g iverson and my first thought was, wow, this is kind of neat. There's actually a, a real life writer out there that's uh, actually also named Eric. And then it turned out later in the, the table of contents, this person was out, outed as, a, as Harry Turtledove. But um, this particular short story, the, the Road Not Taken, an analog story, you know, I, I read this and it, it just had this ending um, that, 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 that just lingered with me for days and i you know I, I, it, it was then that i sort of had that that sort of far away dream that you know maybe someday in the future i i, I might write something that's that's kind of maybe close to, to close to that good and wow you know maybe i, I could get into analog myself and uh, and, and and lo and behold who, who would have thought that so many years later that um, not only uh, would I be, you know, published in analog, but I would actually share an issue with none other than Harry Turtle of himself in the uh, January, February 2020 issue, which was the 90th anniversary, I believe. 
Well, and and you've edited anthologies yourself now, and and you've done collections. Uh, you were uh, let's see, where was this? Um, uh, was it? Oh, I just I just well, lost there were, it. You, there were you two. co-edited so, a couple uh, of things. Yeah. Yeah. So there was um, the Dragon in the Stars, which uh, which is which was a Daw anthology that I co-edited with. Derwin Mack, and this was a collection of speculative fiction, uh, both science fiction and fantasy, uh, of stories that had like a, a Chinese theme, and, and all of the stories were written by um, people with, with uh, Chinese-Asian backgrounds in, in the diaspora. Uh, the other uh, collection I, I did edit, the other anthology, was a hard SF anthology uh, uh, that was put out by Tor, uh, and I had the great privilege to work with uh, the, 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 the great, great Ben Bova on that one. So that was carbide-tipped pens. Now, having done the editing part of it and having done the writing part of it, do you have a preference? Is it just a different <laughs> set of headaches? <laughs> it's it, it, it's a different set of headaches, and it's uh, it, it's a different set of uh, you know joys as uh, as well. Um, you know, one of the th as a as a writer creating your own work, you know, you get to play in in, in your own world for a while, and uh, and build something up from scratch. And then, um, you know, there's there's the editing part of it where, you know, you're fortunate enough that, you know, some very creative people, you know, many of whom are far better writers than, than I am, um, you know, having the privilege to to, to receive that work and to, um, in, 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 case, in some cases, work with the writer to, 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 to bring that to light, that that is... Um, you know, a, a, a level of of joy and satisfaction in its own right as well. So, what's next for you? Uh, you've you've done you've done the short stories for a number of years now. When when is Eric Choi's novel coming out? I'm not sure. I do have an outline for a novel, which I think was the easy part because it was kind of like writing a short story again. But uh, I'm ashamed to say. It's in a little bit of limbo, um, you know. As as my sister said, maybe I just don't have the creative horsepower for a, for a novel. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see. Um, I've got uh, a, a, at least on the short fiction side, I've got uh, a few works uh, coming out. So I did mention earlier this uh, this astrobiology themed uh, book uh, collection called Life Beyond Us. So. Um, I'll have the lead story in that one. Uh, it's called Hemlock on Mars, and it deals with a situation where um, if uh, it, so, so some people might be familiar with this, but there are actually international agreements uh, called uh, planetary protection, where basically we, we don't really want to repeat the mistakes we've made on Earth. So we, you know, we're, we're trying not to contaminate other planets like Mars with uh, with terrestrial uh, biomatter and, and ditto, we don't want to bring anything dangerous back to Earth as well. So right. uh, the premise of Hemlock on Mars is we've launched a probe to Mars and suddenly it looks like there is uh, some kind of a, a terrestrial pathogen on this spacecraft uh, that's sort of barreling towards Mars. And so uh, so, so what, what, what can be done about it? So, so that's one that's coming out. Um, a second one that's coming out is um, it'll be in a 
an anthology uh, put out by probably the best name of a publisher I've ever seen. So it's Zombies Need Brains. And so this, uh, this anthology is called uh, Brave New Worlds. And this is actually um, the first time I've attempted a, a more of a far future uh, type of story. That, and it's actually, this is going to be the first story that is set outside of the solar system for me. So it's set on uh, a, a habitable exoplanet uh, that's tidally locked to, to a red dwarf star some number of, uh, of, of light years away. So, uh, so again, that it's, so the story is called A New Brave World in perhaps confusing with the uh, title of the anthology <laughs> Brave New Worlds, uh, but both of these collections will be coming out later this year. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how Zombies Need Brains does their model with these because these are these are essentially crowdfunded books, and yes. they sit there and say, okay, we're going to do this, and we get and we get enough money, we have this many stories in it, and and I think this is the what second or third collection that they've done this way, and it's interesting to see how they go about doing that process, and and you know, Sergeant Wag in the chat. Uh, likes the fact that you had books published by Daw, and you've mentioned Tor. Do you have, based on the experience of various different publishers, and I don't want to put you in a corner here mm. with a gotcha question or anything, is is there a particular publisher that seems to be a, a best fit for the kind of stories that you write? I'm not going to ask you which is the best publisher, but which one is the is maybe the best fit for what kind of stories you tell? I've had tremendous experiences dealing with every publisher that I've uh, I've had to to, to deal with. Um, in fact, you know, as, as a short fiction writer, unless I'm actually putting a collection to, together, I, I I deal more with uh, frankly with you know, the, the editors and the copy editors than, than the actual publishers themselves. And I, I can say as well that that experience has been um, tremendously positive. And, and um, I, I will actually call out one example here. So there was um, an anthology called uh, Seasons Between Us here uh, that came out last year. And I've got a story in this uh, called Second Thoughts, which is actually nominated this year in the short fiction category for an Aurora Award. That's the uh, Canadian Science Fiction Prize. And I will be forever in debt to uh, one of the editors, both of the editors, actually. So the, the collection was edited by Susan Forrest and, and Lucas Law. And in the case of Susan, she actually pointed out a rather embarrassing plot hole in my story, which she very generously worked with me to, and, and provided a fantastic suggestion to, uh, to, to correct that. And the story was published and is indeed now um, a finalist for, for an award. So th this, is, this is really what's tremendous when the, the editor works hand in hand in, in tandem with a writer with the mutual goal of just making a better story and this is in the times that i edit this is certainly something that that i tried to do myself are you drawing from your experiences as a writer when you're wearing your editor hat of of kind of things that oh i really wish that this editor would do x fill in the blank and now now you are the editor 
do you feel a certain sense of not necessarily obligation, but you know, you you can you can empathize a little bit more with what the writer is going through as an editor, and you sit there because, like you say, you have the suggestions and changes and things that the editor w will say. You know, this is this is the guy who's going to say your baby is ugly. Here's how we fix it. Uh, I would imagine that there needs to be a certain amount of sensitivity when it comes to that kind of thing. There, there does need to be a bit of sensitivity, obviously, and you know, you know, people have you know different personalities and and different uh, approaches to things, and you know, one of the the challenges in that regard is you know to be careful when you're providing critique by messaging or email or texts, and and you know, it's the classic problem that it doesn't necessarily convey meaning or, or, or feeling or, or subtlety. So in, in the case of something that, you know, might be a little more challenging or might be a little more sensitive, you know, I, I just message the person and say, hey, you know, can, can we get on, uh, you know, an old school phone or, or Zoom or what have you and, you know, let's, let, let's talk about this and, and work it out. And, um, you know, in, in every case, I found that to be, you know, very rewarding. Is there any format that you haven't uh, haven't tried yet that you've got an inkling to to dip your toes in, like comic book or well, graphic novel? I've or um, I, I love comic books and uh, poetry is, um, is is something that I've I, I've never delved into, and uh, to be honest, I'm I, I'm kind of afraid to to get into to, to poetry <laughs> because I I really believe that that is the most challenging. Of, of the written forms, that the less words you have to play with, the more each individual word has to have impact yeah. and, and meaning. And I just don't think that I'm a good enough writer to, to write poems. I well, and I think a lot of a lot of that, you know, the challenge is the brevity. And, and like you say, every single word has much more meaning and and much more impact so but at the same time the flip side of that it's it's a challenge that expands your ability to say really you know convey those thoughts in in a, the fewer the fewer words because when you get into short stories you get into novellas you get into novels you know that can that can impact how big your info dump is right there in the middle of your of your story you know we have to everything comes to a screeching halt because you have to explain how the how the mars helicopter works for example you know this the poetry thing could very well be one of those things that improves everywhere else that you're writing various different things i'd i'd say lean into it and and go for it and and, and see what happens well, that's the, that's good advice. So you know, maybe I'll uh, I'll work up the courage to, to give poetry a try. Well, Cam Cam one one three eight in the chat. I'd love to see more sci-fi short story radio play adaptations. Funny you should mention that. We actually tried to talk about doing a little bit of that at one point. Um, I would like to see. Uh, some more stuff like uh, what Leonard Nimoy and John Delancey did with Alien Voices, where you, you can get out up on the stage and do 
the radio play readers theater type of scenario where you have the actors up on stage and you're reading the reading the script have you have you thought about TV, radio, uh, podcast, uh, any any of that sort of thing as a writer? Have you, have you wanted to to look into that at all? Well, I've uh, it's it's certainly uh, crossed my mind, and um, you know if if an opportunity ever arose, I would uh, certainly be interested in pursuing some or, or all of those. Probably the the closest I've been is uh, actually it was the analog story that. Uh, that shared the issue with uh, with Harry Turtledove in January, February, 2020. Um, that was actually recorded as as a podcast. Uh, so it was called The Greatest Day, and uh, you, you can find that uh, somewhere out there, I think, on uh, one of the analog pages. All right. And the current work, just like being there, this is out now, right? This is this is available, or it's, is this just like being there? Is here. It's. It's out. Okay. And Eric's uh, website, aerospacewriter.ca. Oh, you wascally Canadians with your .cas. He's also on Twitter uh, wearing a command gold shirt there in the, in, the, in the picture. And we will await the next project. In the meantime, I'm going to finish reading this short story collection. I will try to have a review out at some point. We'll see. And we'll get those links out, and uh, we'll have you back next time. Uh, you've got something we're going to talk about, and we'll maybe, maybe at some point, we'll have a discussion about these uh, these new images coming out of James Webb Telescope, and bring in your expertise on that. Well, that sounds like tremendous fun. Thank you so much, Jason. All right, thank you, Eric, and uh, good luck with the book, and we'll uh, we'll have you back. And all of you, thanks very much for being here as well. Don't forget, we do have uh, coming up on Saturday. Let me uh, let me pull that up here. Good morning, Multiverse, on uh, Saturday morning uh, with the latest headlines for the week. That's at 11 a.m. Eastern, followed by a new edition of Foreign Bodies at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Mr. Harvey, Mrs. Walker, still in Hong Kong for their discussion of horror. And, of course, uh, you can find us on various different social media platforms, different video platforms, and uh, there's the tip jar, the subscribe star. And one of these days, I'll get a newsletter out. I promise, really, mean it, I mean it, I mean it, it's coming. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.